He is worthy. He is perfect. He is all-powerful. He saved us from our sins on the cross, and he's the king coming again. Amen? Let's give him praise. Amen. You may be seated. Wow, he is worthy of our praise. That gets me fired up. Uh, I also want to praise Jesus and praise the Lord in heaven for what he did through us last week through the day of service. It was a tremendously amazing day. And as I, as I hear stories, as I look at pictures, I think you'll look a lot like Jesus when you're out there serving. Last week we studied in God's word that Jesus got on his hands and his feet and he washed the disciples' feet. He says, I've done this, now follow my example. And when we serve others, when we serve him, we look a lot like Jesus. Serve day was amazing. There were over 40 different team leaders that, that led things throughout the community and right here at church. We served 35 different projects. Uh, these were families. These were uh, widows, single moms. These were organizations that, that have a kingdom mindset. You went out and you served well, impacting hundreds of people. Uh, and it was over 250 servants from our church family community that went out. And I praise God for that. Let's give God glory for that. I want to thank you if you served. If you served in any way last Sunday, raise your hand. I don't do this for uh, proudness. I just want to see who's around here. Look around who served. If you didn't get to serve, see one of these hands and say, hey, what, what did it mean to you? What was the blessing? Where did you get involved? Because while statistics matter, and we could say numbers all day, really the cool thing is uh, people's lives are impacted with the hope of Jesus Christ. And as you hear those stories, I hope it compels you to be like, I can do that. I can share my gifts and abilities and serve. Because we're going to do this again. We don't know exactly when yet. But I want you to capitalize, share your story with someone. Uh, maybe you have an important story that needs to be heard. Let the office know this week. We're going to uh, continue to share um, through social media some things that happen next week. And I'm really looking forward to hearing more of those stories. Uh, but great job. I want to say thank you, not only those who served, to leaders. I want to say thank you to Nathan Andrus. Uh, Nathan is our um, executive pastor. He spent hours and hours before any of us went and did things last Sunday. Also want to th say thank you to the missions team. Uh, they got on board with us because this is missional right here in Bond County. And they all not only said, hey, we, we will help support this with manpower. Uh, they shared their missions resources with us. And I also want you to know that you share your resources to make this possible. Uh, last Sunday, we invested in God's kingdom right here with your missions money. And I, I, I say thank you for being generous and giving to God in that way. Also want to say thank you to the elders. Uh, when we brought this idea to, to do this on Sunday morning, to come together and worship and then get out right away in the morning and, and serve and just go out and meet needs, they were like, let's do it. So I want to praise God for the leaders, the servants, the, the missions team, and the elders. Let's give God glory for that. Hey, one of the key aspects for us to continue to grow, we're going to learn about growing young today, but just growing in general is the unity and faithfulness and vision casting of our elders. It's been a very much a stabling factor, a, 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 a blessing for us to continue to grow in the last hundred years and more, and it will continue to be. But it doesn't happen by accident. So the elders have put before us today uh, a 
FCC leadership uh, document uh, focused on elders and how you will know how elders are not only um, put before the congregation, but also then ordained and put into place as our leaders, our shepherds. So if you're curious about how that all happens in the process, please pick up an uh, elder leadership document in the back in the foyer. Uh, they're free uh, to be, we want you to know this. We want you to see that. It gives biblical uh, references for the, the ways that we do things in leadership. It also lays before you how you can nominate someone for an elder. Between now and October 16th, there's two Sundays, um, you have the opportunity to pray for, inquire of uh, a potential elder, and then nominate that elder to the elders and the church staff uh, through Nathan, myself, or the elders, and we will move forward continuing having uh, godly elders uh, leading us and uh, protecting the church family. We have two elders that are currently um, coming off the eldership, not because uh, of any reality other than the fact they have fully served their terms. In our current situation, our leadership uh, has this uh, guideline that if you serve two consecutive three-year terms, which is six years, you've got to take at least one year off. So we have two elders who have completed that, and that is a huge thing. Guys, they also led us through COVID uh, during those past six years, but I just want to celebrate uh, Mike Cease and Jay Carroll. They have completed their two terms, and they have served us well, and I praise God for that. Let's give God glory for those two guys. There's another elder that will not be serving uh, next year with us, uh, because him and his wife are moving to Missouri, and that kind of breaks our hearts, but we're going to pray for them today that they continue to be blessed. Uh, Mark and Kay Blyer have loved the church, have loved you, and served us well. Uh, Mark has been a, a tremendous leader through uh, the past few years, and I thank God for him on a regular basis and his wife, such a beautiful couple. So pray for them as they transition to Missouri in the next two weeks, and let's give God glory for Mark and Kay as well. I would ask you to be praying for this and, and to really be lifting this matter up in prayer. So you may ask yourself, what makes for a good elder? I would encourage you to dive into God's word. Pick up that document, uh, look through it, and understand the biblical precedence for an elder. But what makes for a, a healthy elder? What, what makes for a healthy eldership? It doesn't happen by accident. And today, as we uh, consider growing young... I want us to consider how, how we can help this next generation not only follow Christ, but become uh, great leaders as well. It must be a commitment to God's word and develop this next generation. This past month, I've started thinking a lot about, really, what allows for an elder to be born, to be developed? And it's not by accident. Over the past few years, one of the elders that is currently coming off uh, of the eldership because he's completed his terms... He has said time and time again in meetings as we prayed for the next generation, he has thanked God for people who poured into his life. We said, well, how are we going to continue this? And D. Arms has developed a, a leadership pipeline of training. But you know what it really does? It's people like you, people like me, pouring into the life of this next generation, and God develops him and helps him grow. It's an amazing thing that happens, but it doesn't happen by accident. It doesn't happen by chance. I've heard this man share with me and the other elders how much he's thankful for the way people have invested him and, and challenged him and grown him and loved on him. This young man grew up in our church, and, and he has served the church well for many years. Here's a picture of him when he was just a boy. 
You might recognize this, Mike C. Anybody recognize this guy? Yeah, great picture there. It looks like Kevin Bacon, doesn't it? <laughs> but Mike has testified many times, and I say this not to have him be a hero today, because the hero is not Mike C. The hero is this church family, Christians, who have invested in him at the age of like two, three, all the way up to his age today. But starting as a boy, Mike testifies that his parents and grandparents poured into his life. His older brother, Larry, yes, Larry, uh, has been a great model of leadership as just a, a man few years ahead of him in life. So I thank Larry for being a good big brother. There are dozens of Sunday school teachers and church family who have encouraged him and challenged him. I've heard him talk about his youth minister, Gary Coleman, and his long-term preacher, Daryl Bolin, of how they challenged him, how they held him accountable. And then in 1987, at the tender age of 19 years old, the church identified him and the elders uh, ordained him as a deacon of this church where he began to serve and, and pour into the life of this church more and more. Uh, he, he recalls uh, uh, the, his first um, chairman of the elders, Dallas Nichols, taking time to make sure that he was on task and, and doing well, along with many other elders who served with him. And it wasn't long before the elders, along with you, the church, identified him as an elder. And he began to serve and shepherd and protect the church. And he loves the church. And over those years, he went from uh, serving to, to protecting to shepherding. All because there have been people pouring into him and Christ putting before him the challenge to lead. Now, why do I share all this this morning? It's not to make Mike cease the hero. It's to make the body of Christ aware of what the body of Christ does to build one another up to bring up leaders among us. So why do I share this is because we need an army of Christians today pouring into this next generation as much and even more than they poured into Mike Cease and, and people like Dallas Nichols. We need to continue to be a people that pour into the next generation for the sake of developing followers of Christ, but also Christ leaders, because our world is working really hard to pull us away. If we let this be to chance... This next generation may be the last generation that really knows in our culture the gospel, to be faithful to the word. We need to be a church that understands our purpose is more than just getting through life fulfilling God's plan for ourselves. But no matter how old you are, our purpose is to help the generation behind us know and follow Christ's will for their life. So when does it start? Now. No matter how old you are, it starts now. Because God is the God of this generation the past generation, and the next generation. God is the God of all generations. It's, it's in the Word. Look with me to Exodus chapter 3. God is talking to Moses, one of the greatest leaders of all times. And he says, Moses, i got something for you. You need to tell the people. Look what God says to Moses. God said to Moses, say this to the people of Israel. And I say this to you today. Yahweh, the God of your ancestors, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. He's telling Moses, those, those guys are way far back, and for them it was just a couple hundred years. God is the God of that generation, just like he is of this generation. He says this, this is my eternal name, my name to be remembered for all generations. God is saying to us again today, the God of Abraham, of Isaac, of Jacob, the God of Moses, is the God of this generation and the next and you get to be a part of, of sharing that because he's the God of all generations. And God has placed on the elders' hearts a, a three-year plan for us to grow. And it grows 
from serving and honoring and worshiping the one God who's the God of all generations, Yahweh, the God of the Word. And we believe He's going to continue to grow us as we walk with one. That's really this third part of the strategy to grow. It's this, we're going to grow young walking with one. And you're like, well, I'm young. If you have been a believer for just any amount of time, the the goal is to look at those younger in the faith than you and walk with them and help them grow. Maybe you've been a believer for 80 years. You might be mentoring a 50-year-old that's younger in the faith. But we're all going to be walking with one. This is not a a new call, but this is a, a consistent call of God's word. I'm so thankful if you really study our church, we're a church of five generations. There's there's five generations alive in our church right now. And the next generation needs to hear the same truth that God is the God of all generations. Now, while I hinted at just a moment ago, if we don't make it purposeful, this this generation will not hear about the good news. I am not concerned that the church is going to fold. The church of Jesus Christ is going to last. The, the gates of hell will not prevail against it. We, we are secure in the kingdom of God. It is eternal, it's strong, and it will not pass away. But I have to be honest with you. This next generation that's among us is walking away from the faith. Our children and our grandchildren, they inherit our genetics. It just happens. Uh, when you pass away, they will inherit whatever money you do or don't have. It will just happen unless you do something about that. Uh, that's the way the world works. But what doesn't work by chance is they do not inherit our faith by accident. While they get your looks and, and they'll have your money someday, unless you're purposeful, unless we're purposeful about pouring into them our faith, that will not happen in today's world. In fact, I have some real uh, bad news for you. Only 2% of Americans between the age of 18 and 29 currently have a biblical worldview, according to the most recent survey. 2% of young people view God's word as God's word. Valuable to live their life by. That's really what a biblical worldview is, that we believe this is God's word. It's, it's trustworthy. It's, it's, it's uh, uh, perfect. And it's able to guide our lives and to shape our lives and make us uh, uh, prepared for salvation through Jesus. That's a biblical worldview. Only 2% of today's American youth have that mindset. You're like, well, it's got to be better in the church. You know what the current statistics show? That in churches like ours, including ours, now I would say, well, ours is slightly better. You, you know how much slightly better is according to national average? 20% of young people in church believe in a biblical worldview. We've not done a good job of passing on our faith. Because the world is pulling them away. You might say, well, Tyson, it's got to be at least 25% in our church. Are you excited about 25% of young people believing that God's word is alive and active in their life? We've got to do a better job, an intentional job, of pouring into this next generation. And it starts today. It takes the effort of everyone. We can't leave it up to chance. And it's not just the job of the staff. And it's not just your job as a parent. We're going to work together to pour into the next generation, and it starts today. In fact, there was a young man, you're going to, we're going to celebrate in a little bit, that was baptized on Friday, and I would tell him he was at first service. I love the fact he was baptized by his uh, teenage friend who happens to be a girl. What a beautiful picture of growing young. But as these two teenagers are in the baptistry, and he gets out of the baptistry, on day one, he needs to look around, around him. Maybe it's a, a, a teammate at school, a classmate, or a younger sibling. 
We all should be looking around us. Who is younger in the faith that I can walk beside to help them know Jesus? He's, he's not off the hook on day one. No, on day one, we're to be walking with one. So wonder who you're walking with to share your faith with. If we're going to grow deep, we're going to grow out, we're going to grow young, we've, we've got to be being intentional. Here's the big strategy. We are committed to grow out, witnessing with the gospel. We're going to keep growing deep, being devoted to the word, and we're going to grow young, walking with at least one. If you counted all the different people that poured into Mike Cease's life, it, it could reach 100, I would guess. From school to church to family to farmers in the area. Guys, I fear, there's a part of me that fears uh, that there are kids that come to our student ministry that Ben could uh, identify as our student pastor that unless he's pouring into them, there's not even one other person pouring into their life right now for the sake of Christ. And we, as a community of believers, we need to make sure that doesn't happen, that there are people pouring into the next generation's life for the sake of Jesus. It happened all throughout the Bible. Godly men and women pouring into the next generation. You see it in Moses and Joshua. Moses was a stud. And you see him here uh, pictured kneeling before God. Here's what's going on here in, in Exodus 33. God had recently told him, hey, I'm the God of all generations. Moses pays attention. What should I do? He starts pouring into the life of Joshua. He's pictured here with Joshua. After a hard day of leading the Israelites through the wilderness, he would often set up a tent. I, I think almost every day he would set up a tent, as far as I can tell. And this would be called the tent of meetings. And he would go into the tent, and he would just spend time with God. Interestingly enough, after a long, hard day of, of leading a million or so people through the desert, complaining and grumbling, he'd go into the tent to be with God. You know what he would do? He was smart enough to bring someone alongside him. Joshua. Look what it says in Scripture. In Exodus chapter 33, it says, The Lord would speak to Moses face to face as one speaks to a friend. Then Moses would return to camp, but his young aide, Joshua, son of Nun, did not leave the tent. See what Moses was doing here? He's going to this tent to, to get down on his hands and knees, to go before God, to talk to God like a friend. Not everybody uh, back in that day had that ability. He said, but I want to show my young friend Joshua what this is like. So he would invite Joshua in the tent with him, and then Moses would leave to go about his leadership, and he would say, hey, Joshua, you can stay behind. Moses was showing Joshua the importance of being in God's presence. You coming here today with your family, people younger than you, is a sign, much like Moses, you're showing the next generation the importance of gathering to God in God's presence. But here's the cool part. You can model that throughout the week, seven days a week, being always in the mindset of prayer, talking to the, the young people around you about God's uh, will for your life and their life and how he's with us always through the Holy Spirit. Praise God that Moses took time to show Joshua the importance of being in God's presence. Who do you do that with? More than just Sunday morning. Who are you showing the value of God's presence in your life? It changed Joshua's life. It can change the young people around you. You can also see it in the life of Eli and Samuel. You can see their story in 1 Samuel 3. The cool part about this, this is probably a pretty good picture to remind us of Samuel. Samuel was this young boy that his mom says, Okay, if you just bless me with the son, I will let him uh, work in the temple with the priest. So when he was born, he, she dedicated Samuel. And then when she, he was of the age where he could be weaned, he went to live at the temple. The Bible says that the priest, 
Eli let him sleep in the room with the Ark of the Covenant. I mean, can you imagine this? Just think for a minute. I don't know how many uh, young people, toddlers, would feel comfortable sleeping up here on stage with no one else in the room. Daily, when the lights aren't on, she doesn't even like to walk through this room. It's kind of weird, okay? But can you imagine a little boy sleeping next to the Holy of Holies? That's, that's what this boy did. So he's sleeping in the temple, and then two different times, he gets uh, woke up in the middle of the night. Samuel, Samuel. So he'd run to Eli, and he'd say, Eli, I'm here. I'm ready to serve you. And Eli's, I didn't call you. Go back to bed. So go back to bed. Two different times it happens. The third time it happens, look what, look what the Bible says. Now Samuel did not yet know the Lord. Here's the problem. He's a young boy. He's sleeping next to the Holy of Holies, next to the, the Ark of the Covenant, but he doesn't know God yet. Really, he doesn't. The Word of God had not yet been revealed to him. So the third time the Lord came, called, Samuel! And Samuel got up and went to Eli and said, Here I am, you called me? Then Eli realized that the Lord was calling the boy. So Eli told Samuel, Go and lie down, and if he calls to you, say, Speak, Lord, for your servant is listening. So Samuel went and lie down in his place. The Lord came and stood there. Isn't that amazing? Lord, Lord was in the room. He was calling, and calling just as he did the other time. Samuel, Samuel. Then Samuel said, Speak, for your servant is listening. What an amazing testimony of a priest, one of God's faithful followers, saying to the next generation, God's calling you. Next time you feel this call, say, I'm here. I'm your servant. Thank God that Samuel had a man like Eli in his life to slow him down, to keep him from running around uh, thinking that this was the call, this was the call. And he says, no, God is calling you. Respond and be faithful. I wonder if the next generation isn't being called right now, but they're running around so far from here to there to everywhere when some of us need to say, hey, slow down and say, Lord, here I am. I'm your servant. When's the last time you told someone in the next generation that one of the greatest things you could ever do, the greatest thing you ever do, is slow down and be a servant of the living God? While you can use your life in many different ways, uh, we need this generation telling the younger generation that, that serving God and being willing to, to follow him is, is a true blessing. It was for Samuel. He ended up being developed into a prophet, and he poured into another young man. Young man. His name was David. You see their story start out in 1 Samuel chapter 16. When he anointed David with oil as to be the next king. But this is not where it started out. Uh, Samuel uh, was revealed to God that he was to anoint the next king. So he went to a man's house named Jesse. Uh, everyone knew that Jesse had some great warriors, some great sons. So Samuel went to Jesse's house. And you can see uh, David's brothers behind him there in the picture. When Samuel first got to Jesse's house, uh, God uh, had Samuel look over these boys, these older boys. But then there was really nothing that, that there that God wanted to, uh, to anoint. Look what it says in Scripture in verse 10. Jesse had seven of his sons pass before Samuel. But Samuel said to him, The Lord has not chosen these. For he asked Jesse, Are these all your sons you have? They're still the youngest, Jesse answered. He is tending the sheep. Samuel said, Send for him. And we will set down until he arrives. This is a big deal. Notice this. Don't look, read over this too quickly. Jesse, David's own dad, didn't even think of him as being a potential king. He was still small. He was still insignificant. He was a shepherd. 
His own dad overlooked him. You may feel overlooked today if you're a young person. I want you to know God is still looking uh, for the person who has a heart for him, not someone who has a big stature or big social media presence or a big uh, bank account. God's saying, I want someone who is willing, has the heart to follow me. Even when the world, your own father may overlook you. Look at this. Samuel says, this is so important. We're all going to have a seat until he's here. He's out watching the sheep. This could have taken hours for them to go get him. Look what Samuel says it does next. So they sent for him and had him brought in. He was glowing with health and had a fine appearance and was handsome, had handsome features. Then the Lord said, rise and anoint him. This is the one. Remember, Samuel, though, anointed him not because of he was handsome or fine appearance, not because of his size or his strength. He was anointed because he had a heart after God. Samuel uh, not only anointed David at this moment, Samuel began to mentor David, to take him under his wing, to, to mold him, to, to, to show him the ways of God, to, to be a blessing to him, to encourage him, to pray for him. David would become the greatest king of God's people ever know, and, and it happened because Samuel was willing to stick his neck out and say, this is not the one. I, I need the one God has called, and it was David, and he developed David. I wonder when's the last time you went to someone that you thought was maybe a little bit overlooked by the world. Maybe the world thought was insignificant and you're like, you're the one, you're going to do great things. Not that we anoint them to be king, but, but we bless them and pray over them to be a big part of God's kingdom. When's the last time you said, while you feel down out, while you feel hurt, while you feel even neglected by your own family, I love you. We can all do that. There's one other story I want to share with you about two prophets, Elijah and Elisha. It gets a little confusing with their names, but these two guys are amazing. You see their, their story in 1 Kings, uh, uh, most of their story. And uh, Elijah was the one uh, prophet who had the battle with the prophets of Baal on Mount Carmel. Remember the story? There's 450 prophets of Baal, and, and then you have Elijah. And, and the prophets of Baal are making fun of uh, our one true God. They're mocking him. They're making fun of him. And they develop a contest. They make these altars, and, and whoever would burn up the altar was going to be, their God was going to be uh, uh, the one true God. Long story short, the prophets of Baal, all 450 of them, continue to mock God. And by the end of the day, they are all destroyed by God's power. And Elijah and the one true God are getting the praise and glory. You might think, well, man, that has to be the most amazing part of Elijah's life. I would agree with you that it's the most dramatic, it's the most uh, all-inspiring moment of power where, where fire and lightning just come down and consume everything on the mountain except for Elijah. What an amazing testimony of God's power. But what really impacted the kingdom more than even that great display of power and fire was what Elijah did with Elisha. When Elijah's time was almost there to go into the kingdom of God in heaven, he knew he was going to be called into heaven. It's an amazing testimony. Elijah did not die. He was called into heaven. And he comes to this younger man named Elisha. And he sees him working his field. Uh, the Bible says that Elisha had uh, great property. He had uh, many oxen. And he was a great worker. He was a young man. He had uh, the world kind of uh, by the tail. He was doing great things. But then Elijah comes to this man and says, I want you to be under my guidance. I want you to be a servant of mine. I want to help you grow and to be a truly godly man. And you know what this guy who had all the wealth of the world, you know what he did? He says, let me go home and take care of my family, and then I will serve you. 
in, the, in God. Look what it says in Scripture. Elijah came to him, put a coat over him, and said, Hey, I want to I show you a blessing. And then Elisha said this, or this is what happened. Then he set out to follow Elijah and became his servant. This guy who, who had servants of his own, this guy who never needed to serve really anyone, he says, I want to follow you. You're going to help me grow. And Elijah uh, poured into the next generation of Elijah this new prophet. And here's the most impactful thing that happened. Right before Elijah died, he said this. When they came to the other side of a river, Elijah said to Elisha, Tell me what I can do for you before I'm taken away, before I go into heaven. And Elisha replied, Please let me inherit a double share of your spirit and become your successor. He said, give me a double blessing of all the blessings you've received from God. That, that's what I ask of you to pray for. And, and Elijah's like, boy, that's a big request. Uh, who do you think you are? And that's not what he said. But he did say this. That's a big deal to have a double portion of the blessing. He said, I, you know, in his mind, he's got to be thinking, but how is this possible? How, how is the one coming after me going to do greater things? How, how are you going to have a double of what I had? My life has been amazing. Do you not know what I did to the prophets of Baal on the mountain? But he didn't say all that. He says, if, if you see me going to heaven, if you see what is to happen really take place, you will receive a double portion of everything I've had, of my spirit, my blessing. And that's exactly what happened to Elisha. Uh, the Bible uh, accounts that Elisha had double the amount of miracles, double the amount of powerful moments in his life for the sake of God's glory than Elijah ever had. Now, I know it's not about our power, it's about God's power, but the bottom line was Elijah did not allow his own pride to get in the way of blessing a young man, and he had a, a desire for his legacy to be even bigger than his. I wonder if that's true of us. Do we want the next generation, do we help them to have a greater legacy than we ever could imagine for ourselves? Is that your dream, that this church would, would have double the impact in the next 20 years that it had the previous 20 years? If, if we ever have a moment where, like, how dare they think they can take it beyond us? Well, it's not us. It's not them. It is God working them, and we need to put them in a position to thrive. We need to dream big for the next generation and help impact them, just like Elijah did for Elisha. And it's not crazy talk. Jesus said it even more clearly. Look, look what Jesus said in John 14. He says, truly I tell you, whoever believes in me will do the works I have been doing, and they will do even greater things than these, because I'm going to the Father. Whatever you do, ask in my name, so the Father will be glorified in the Son. You may ask me for anything in my name, and I will do it. Jesus is basically saying here, as we continue uh, to multiply the kingdom of God, there's going to be a point when greater things are done on earth than even he done himself. But we need to help their faith grow. We need to uh, sh share with them to ask in the name of Jesus. Bigger things than we can imagine can take place as long as we're planting the seeds of faith in this next generation. I want to share with you one more passage from Jesus. This is exactly what he's speaking about when he talks about a mustard seed in this portion. A mustard seed is so small, if it was in my hand, you couldn't even see it from where you're at. But yet a mustard seed grows huge. Look what Jesus says. It's the same way in the kingdom of God. He says, like a mustard seed, which is smallest seed on earth, Yet when planted, it grows and becomes the largest of the garden plants with such big branches that the birds can perch in its shade. Jesus knows full well that when we plant faith in the kingdom of God in people's hearts, it grows beyond what we can imagine. Uh, it can go from so small to something that impacts the world forever. But what does it take for a mustard seed to really 
thrive. The text says, when planted. In, in, the, in the sense of this next generation, here's what we've got to consider. Are we planting seeds of faith in their hearts, in their minds, in their lives? When planted, it grows. When planted, it grows. When's the last time you planted something of a kingdom perspective in another person's heart and mind? That's what God is calling to. As we walk with one to grow young, we're going to be planting truth of faith, truth of hope in Jesus Christ. And when it's planted, it grows. So what does it look like to grow? Real practically, I want to give you some steps that you can all do. In fact, if you're hearing this, this is what I challenge you to do. First, be an example to someone younger than you in the faith. Did I tell you to be perfect? No, because if, if it was requiring me perfect, we would be done. But be an example to someone younger to you in the faith. And here's a good tool to understand if you're being an example. Are you loving God? Are you showing you love people? Are you serving all? By the way, that's our mission of our church. Love God, love people, serve all. And if you're doing that, you're probably being a pretty good example. But if you uh, have the example of, boy, I'll go to church, but only once a month, by golly, it's enough for me. Or uh, I, I really can't stand that person at work. I can't wait till I, I, I'm out of that role. Or I would never do that to that person. You know what they did to me? What kind of example are you? But when you take time and you make being in God's presence a priority because you love him, man, that's a good example. When you slow down to meet someone's need because you love people, that's a great example. When you're willing to get on your hands and feet and serve no matter the cost, boy, that's a good example. You start looking a lot like Jesus because that's what it's all about. While we'll never be perfect, as we follow the example of Jesus, we'll be an example. Look what Paul says. Follow my example as I follow the example of Christ. I'm just going to stop right there. That, that's, that's what example is, striving to be like Jesus and having others follow you as you follow him. You can do that. Secondly, be an encourager. Build up those you're walking with. I want us to understand we're not talking necessarily about and primarily about your children, grandchildren. We expect everyone to love their grandchildren and, and children. What, what, this doesn't always be the case, but here's the reality. We need to be identifying people that are outside of our natural circle and encourage them for the sake of Christ. At least one. My fear is there are teenagers that come here on a regular basis and we are, we are assuming they're going to be encouraged. If we all encourage one, you know what's going to happen to our children's ministry, our student ministry, and the next generation? It is going to thrive right here in Greenville, Illinois, Bond County, and around the world. But we've got to be an encourager. Look what it says. You've already been doing it. Keep it up. In 1 Thessalonians, therefore encourage one another and build each other up just in the fact you are doing some of you are like, well, I already encouraged Mike. Mike has graduated from being an elder. By the way, I think Mike will be an elder again someday. Hold him to that. By the way, nominate the heck out of him next year, okay? But here's the reality. You're like, I've done my job. You're not done doing your job building up and encouraging the next generation until God calls you home. That's what Elijah did. He said, up until the point I'm called home, what would you like me to do for you? And if they say, give me a double blessing, pray for a double blessing. Be an encourager. That may mean send them a text. It may mean send them a card. It may mean take them to McDonald's. It may mean showing up at their, their dance recital or, or their football game. It may mean come to the awards night when they get an award at school. It may be showing up at the principal's office when they're in detention. Whatever they need, we need to be ready to encourage. Who are you walking with? 
It may mean of the next generation, a young mom who just had her first child and she needs help. It may mean a guy who you're mentoring and he lost his job. We need to be encouraging the next generation. Here's the final thing. You can do this as well. Be persistent in prayer. Look what the text says in Ephesians. Pray in the Spirit all the time on every occasion. Stay alert and be persistent in your prayers for all the believers everywhere. And I would just amplify this with that one you're walking with. Be alert and be praying for them very specifically. Be persistent. Let them know you're praying for them. Pray for them uh, on a regular basis, not just once a week. Pray for them every time you go to time of prayer. uh, Take time to pray for that person. And we are going to see the church thrive in the next generation instead of have two 20% of people who know Jesus. Are you willing to be an example and an encourager and pray for others? If so, ask God to reveal to you who you're to be building up. We're going to help you identify some people that could be built up. I want to end by asking this today, and I wondered this this week. I wonder how many people are already doing this in our church. And I'm not going to have you raise your hands, but I'm curious about this. How many people are already an example for a young person? encouraging that young person and praying for that young person. And I would suggest there's hopefully a few at church. If you're already doing those three things, I I would ask you to email Ben Harris and I. We want to start having a list of people that are uh, walking with one. Here's the email that you can send this email to. Just say, hey, this is a person I'm encouraging. It's growyoung at greenvillefcc.org. And you'd be like, yeah, I'm I'm, uh, walking with Betty Allen. I'm walking with... uh, Tom Boyd, you know, whatever the name is, let us know. And then when a student has not been claimed by the end of the month, we're going to put names out there for the rest of you to claim so you can be an example, so you can encourage, so you can pray for them. Because we can't leave it to chance. If we leave it to chance, our influence will not be what it should be. But when we put forth this effort, guys, God is going to do a work among us to bring glory to him like we've never imagined. Let's pray. Father in heaven, I thank you for today. I pray that uh, those here today would be, be challenged, to be inspired, to continue on the legacy, much like Elijah and Elisha, like Moses and Joshua, like Samuel and David, Lord, like Dallas and Mike. Like Randy, my mentor, poured into me. Father, help us to be people that pour into the next generation for your glory. Father, if there's someone here today that they, they've realized someone's been loving them, someone's been telling them about Jesus, someone's been encouraging them, praying for them, and they realize it's all for uh, your glory and they want to give their life to Jesus today, I, I pray that they would come forward and will praise you. Father, we thank you for today. Help us to live out uh, the reality that you're the God of all generations right here in Greenville and beyond. In Jesus' name, amen. Would you stand with us as we sing?